structured data allows extraction of insights to have more information that leads to better decisions. And those better decisions can be made based upon more readily available data to compare to peers, as well as driving efficiencies within the company. That's Wes Bricker, a vice chair and PwC's assurance leader for the U.S. and Mexico. He's joined by Jen Neglia, a partner in PwC's risk assurance practice. This is Heather Horn and Wes and Jen are joining me to discuss XBRL. You may be asking yourself why a tool that's often viewed as strictly about compliance is being covered in a series on technology. As you'll learn, XBRL has the power to unleash the full potential of structured data and advanced digital reporting, not just for your investors but also within your company. So Wes and Jen, thank you so much for joining me today to talk about XBRL. Wes, I'm so interested to see that you joined the board of XBRL International in July. For our audience who may not be familiar, what is the mission of XBRL International? Or if it's easier to explain, maybe the relationship between XBRL International and I know we also have an XBRL U.S. XBRL International is really sitting at the center of the effort, drawing together around the globe all of the individual efforts at a local country-by-country level. So, of course, there's XBRL U.S. There's also member organizations in other countries. But XBRL International sits at the center and really draws the conversation together so that there's, to the extent we can, uh, draw uniformity around the globe. And I guess, Jen, in the context that Wes just mentioned, XBRL US, I know that you were on the board of XBRL US. And in addition to serving audit clients, that you have kept your focus on XBRL. So what, I guess, got you initially interested in XBRL? As an auditor, I saw my clients struggling with this new mandate from the SEC. So I wanted to help them think through how to respond to the mandate, as well as potentially leverage some of this structured data internally to streamline what is typically a very manual and time-intensive process for them to pull together their financial statements. So for me, it's really helped them work through some of these other business issues through the application of structured data. Great. And I actually had uh, Mike Bacala and Michael Shehab on talking about using structured data, well, data, and then really structured data. So I think this is just a perfect follow-on discussion. But I think some of our listeners, even with that reference, may be wondering why we're focused on XBRL as part of our technology series. And so maybe, Wes, why are we focused on this from that perspective? XBRL is the standardization of data through applying tags or or structuring it. Of course, XBRL is not itself uh, an application, a technology application or a technology in a narrow definition of that word. Uh, but XBRL enables investors to get the information that they need in a format that technology and computers and applications can really transform. And that's why it's so integral to the technology discussion. An XBRL tag helps data go from uh, just a one-dimensional, unstructured format to something that is multidimensional, can be read, can be understood with context and meaning. And, and frankly, that enables information to be much more useful to investors and other stakeholders. 
that's really what we're after. We're focused on enhancing the quality of information and data so that users of that information can make better decisions. Of course, unstructured data, if left alone, would cause investors or other data aggregators uh, to really put in a lot of work to make it useful. And so to illustrate that, take, for example, all of the filings made with uh, Securities and Exchange Commission here in the U.S., there are well over a half a million filings every year. It's something like a run rate of 650,000 filings every year, let alone the hundreds of pages that are oftentimes included in any single filing. So what would it take for someone to sit down to read all of those filings manually? Well, the reality is a lot of the content would not get used. XBRL helps with that situation by providing context and meaning to the information that is filed so that computers can help us do our jobs, assembling more information together in an insightful way so that investors and others can make better decisions. That's what's really exciting about XBRL. It comes into the picture by really offering a far more cost-effective option for investors to get access to the insights that they need, and it lowers the information processing cost, just to put it in economics terms, uh, by providing a solution that really addresses uh, the cost of using information. Now, of course, XBRL data reflects the exact details within a company's uh, reporting. And so what XBRL doesn't do, it doesn't change the story. It just enables the story to be understood at scale uh, with technology information. And that's really the power of structured data and XBRL's role in structuring information. Heather, I know you were interviewing Pierre and he talked about um, artificial intelligence and AI and some of these technologies, and he described them as a shiny object. And the relationship that Wes just walked through in terms of the scalability of, of these models that can be applied to this data now, the XBRL structured data is what makes that shiny object shiny because it gives you so much more data and so many more insights and context into that data. Jen, I think that's really helpful. And it's interesting, you know, listening to Wes speak as well, because on this data podcast, we were talking about, you know, as we look back 30 years ago, you know, we were using paper and a 10 key to do accounting. And then we switched to computers and then now data analytics and, and the use of data is sort of the, the next evolution. But Wes, I couldn't help thinking when you were talking about all that data in an SEC filing that it's impossible for anyone to use all of that information without analytics or some or something else. And then I think of the work that goes into creating a filing and the thought that you're putting together all this information that's not used. I mean, that should scare all of our, our listeners. So with that context, then what does happen with SCC XBRL data. So if it's, you know, set up correctly, then how is that data being, how do we see that being used? So that takes us into the plumbing of information a bit. After companies file their XBRL filings with the SEC, then the information becomes publicly available for anyone to download and to use. 
And in many cases, companies and investors and investment advisors use it directly from the SEC's website. But then other possibilities also exist. Data aggregators, uh, for example, pull that same information. They harvest it. They normalize information. They correct errors uh, that might exist in the data. They apply various analytic models. And then they sell that information because it's valuable to analysts, investors, regulators. In some cases, those companies sell it back to the SEC. And so there's value in data, and data, of course, is available directly from the SEC or in aggregated form. Structured data allows modeling and broad comparison, of course. It allows technologies to be applied much more efficiently and across a larger amount of data, and it allows extraction of insights and information that's useful to finance organizations, investors, investment advisors, policymakers. That's fundamentally what it's about, enabling users to have more information, better insights that leads to better decisions. So the data business, uh, of course, is a growing area across business, uh, and different data aggregators have been incorporating XBRL filings into their models to varying degrees. In other words, XBRL filings is a subset of the total landscape of information uh, that's included in SEC filings as a source of information available in the marketplace. This is not to miss the practical reality uh, that with very large data sets, uh, there are also areas for continued attention. For example, there are data errors that arise from inappropriate tags or, or uh, errors in the underlying uh, information. Those are still too, frankly, too common uh, within XBRL filings. And in some areas, data quality issues can get in the way of the usefulness of XBRL. And so as we've had a voice in this area, we've brought uh, attention to the value of continued focus on data quality uh, and of course, other organizations are involved in this too. For example, XBRL US publishes individual company data uh, on their website, including, frankly, data errors, uh, so that users of the information uh, have good access to the quality of filings. And even a data quality committee has been set up uh, through XBRL US uh, to help bring awareness to data quality in order to move forward and beyond these present issues, uh, because that's really the possibility here. We can move uh, beyond these present quality issues so that the information has a richness and integrity to really enable uh, investors and others to get access to consistent uh, quality uh, within the information. So I want to come back to this quality and um, error question, because I'm sure that piqued our listeners' interest. But before we do that, you know, we've focused here on the use by the SEC, but I'm curious some other examples of where it's being used. Uh, frequent listeners will know that I'm from the utility industry and the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission is actually going to be requiring XBRL in its filing starting in 2021. So I'm sure we've seen other examples too. And can you uh, share some of those? 
There are a number of good examples, and the FERC example is a really good one. The regulated banking space, the FDIC has been collecting financial data from bank institutions in XBRL format since 2005. Uh, the FDIC was uh, one of the early users from a regulatory perspective to incorporate uh, the standard taxonomy into their regulatory program for a variety of reporting needs. Even much more recently, when Congress passed the CARES Act and policymakers and regulators set up their programs, uh, they set up those programs with XBRL incorporated into key reporting areas, for example, with reporting areas for the PPP program, uh, which was one of the lending programs. FERC, of course, uh, starting in 2021 next year, uh, will require companies to file financial reports with them in an XBRL format. And those are just two examples where more and more regulators are moving forward requiring data be to be tagged uh, using XBRL as they gain insights and conduct analysis on those data sets. Regulators are thinking forward about the same issues that our companies and investors are also thinking about, which is the connection of data and technology to accomplishing their broader purposes and objectives within the organization. So then following on that, Obviously, if I go back to the comment on errors and quality issues, it's hard to accomplish objectives if the data you're using is incorrect. And so, Jen, very curious from your perspective, I know you've been working with companies with their XBRL data. What do we see companies doing well that can help ensure at least that their individual data is high quality? Very commonly, I see some companies outsourcing this to a third party or maybe just tying back the values on the paper-based document, not really looking at the metadata that is contained within the XBRL tag or the appropriateness of the tag. So the companies that are doing a really good job of this, they've implemented a strong review process and they have internal controls over their XBRL filing. And those controls will span beyond just the paper-based tie-out of the values, they'll be looking at the underlying metadata. They're looking for the credit and debit balance and some of the more technical items within the tag that needs to be accurate in order to be used on a much wider basis. And then, Jen, I guess it's fair to say that if you could kind of envision this future of data that Wes laid out, that it's going to need to be more than a best practice to have those types of procedures in place, but it's really something more companies should be focused on it and, and not just consider this something that you can hand over to your outsourcer. Yeah, one, one piece of advice I would have for companies is go out to the XBRL US website. Look at the history of filings for your company, for your peers. They are reporting some of the common errors. Wes had mentioned previously how XBRL US is reporting on these. These are the errors that are easily identified. They're the automated checks, et cetera. There are additional errors beyond what we're seeing reported by XBRL US, but it is a really good starting point. The other thing I would recommend companies think about is benchmarking against their peers. What do their tags look like in comparison to their peers? Ultimately, we've been talking about the consumption of this data and the usability across a mass amounts of different companies, et cetera, looking for trends and analysis. When you're not using a comparable tag, that really impacts the ability to do that comparison. 
Yeah, so I guess, Jen, I was just thinking when you were speaking, if I was tagging something differently than my peer companies, then I may look anomalous, even though I'm not, or maybe something where I'm very positive in isn't going to like pop out because it's not going to show in the data. And back to Wes's point, there's so much data that someone is not going to be necessarily manually looking at it to identify those differences. That's exactly right. And I think as somebody who's consuming the XBRL data, a lot of these third-party companies that have started up and they're consuming it and ultimately selling it back to other organizations, including the SEC and some other regulators, it could be interpreted as potentially a red flag or just why is this company reporting something out of the ordinary from their peers? Yeah, I mean, given the time of year, I hate to be giving uh, controllers departments one more thing to think about, but definitely seems like a priority to focus in this area. So maybe switching gears a little bit, we've been really focused so far on how external parties can use your data. But Jen, I know from talking about this before, that this is actually something you can also use internally, which I thought was very interesting. So can you give us some examples of how a company may themselves use this data? So Heather, we've been talking a lot about structuring data for reporting it publicly externally to the company, as you mentioned. And so one other concept that we're starting to see is applying this structured data concept within a company. And there is actually a taxonomy available for this. It's known as the global ledger. And it actually tags transaction level data. It can tag general ledger data. Um, And what I've seen at a lot of my clients is that they have disparate systems and they have inconsistent data structures. And what applying the global ledger tags would do is very synonymous with what you would expect with a barcode. If you think about the life cycle of a product before it gets on a shelf in a store, at what point in the development is the barcode applied? And what does the barcode provide to the company in terms of tracking its inventory? At what point is it being shipped? Is it at the store? Has it been purchased? And does the inventory need to be replenished? The tags within a company as part of the global ledger taxonomy would operate in a very similar manner. You would tag one set of transaction level data. You would be able to follow it through its life cycle all the way up to the general ledger. In some countries, there's like in the Netherlands, there's companies that are moving forward with this standard business reporting idea, working with the government. And so we are starting to see some of those companies implement these tags within the organization. But often you don't hear too much about it because it is seen as a competitive advantage. I don't think that they really want everyone to know their secret of how they're doing things quicker, better, faster. So then, Jen, if someone's listening to you and thinking, oh, I can think of a use in my organization for this, is it something that you have to do all at once? Or could you pick an area and say, I'm going to start here and do a pilot, see how it works, and then build on that? You could definitely start as a pilot. The global ledger is segmented out, as you as you might expect, based on different kinds of transactions and areas of a company, accounts payable, accounts receivable, the general ledger, master data, et cetera. You could try it on just a subset of data and see how it would operate for your organization. It's pretty interesting. I, I, I work primarily in the insurance sector, and I'm seeing a lot of my clients spend millions of dollars on major modernization efforts and system transformation efforts trying to solve this problem of data and the consistency of data, keeping quality of data. 
And I often think if they applied this concept of tagging the information, it really structures the information from the point that it enters the door all the way through the rest of the life cycle. But unfortunately, I think XBRL has a a negative connotation in the United States as being just that regulation that the SEC passed. And it was one more headache for a lot of my controllers and CFOs. And so I guess what I'm asking is maybe companies should start thinking about this a little bit differently and even just try it on a subcomponent of their business to see if it could be a solution for them. And then, Jen, one other question I always like to ask is that as you're interacting with different clients, what else is top of mind when they're thinking about XBRL? What other types of questions or focus are you seeing? That's a great question. So in some recent conversations, and these are with some CFOs that really understand the contextual data of XBRL, they're very interested in the tools that are available in order to consume this data and compare their organization's performance with their peers, with their competitors. They're looking for data trends and insights to stay ahead of their competitors, et cetera. And also they're starting to think about it in terms of embedding it as part of just that last mile of reporting. It's such a manual and time intensive process. They're starting to think about how they might be able to apply this structure in that last mile of reporting to save time and drive efficiencies and improve the quality internally. And then Wes, just Stepping back to the where we started with the board discussion, is there anything in particular the board is focused on that may be of interest um, for our audience to consider as they're thinking about XBRL? The board is focused on a variety of things, but there are a couple of themes that, that maybe I'd draw out from Jen's discussion as well as what I'm seeing. Number one, the importance of data to companies as well as to users outside of companies. And so XBRL has a real point of relevance for the effectiveness of a finance function, reducing costs, raising the insights of finance functions. But just the same, it can help uh, power users outside of companies, whether it's an investment firm, an investment advisor, individual investors, reduce uh, the cost of getting through information and raising the value of insights as they make decisions as well. But we also see a broadening of types of data that's uh, able to be structured. For example, ESG information will increasingly be able to be structured going forward. So there's a lot going on in this space. Uh, The board agenda is robust in in looking at uh, the activities on an international basis, the way to pull together good conversations from around the globe and point forward toward better information to lead to better decisions uh, by a number of stakeholders. So I always like having guests that are very passionate about what they're talking about. And I have to say, I may have had some of the perception of XBRL, that it was a regulatory headache, and, and some of those that you're talking about from clients, but definitely listening to the two of you and the passion you have for it, it does really help me as well see the opportunity. So I hope our listeners have heard that too, and they're more interested in it now. But maybe just to wrap things up, one of the things I also like to ask is if you had a crystal ball and you could say, okay, three years from now or five years from now, what's the future of XBRL and where are companies going to be with this? And and again, it's to excite our listeners of why they don't want to be left behind as we look ahead. So maybe Wes, starting with you. Structured data and XBRL taxonomies will be pervasive across reporting. 
business reporting, financial reporting. They will help companies get access to coverage, large companies, small companies, public companies, private companies, structured data and the data that companies produce to the marketplace will need to be in a form and a format that computers can consume. And when computers can consume that information, it becomes incredibly rich and valuable. But just the same, not having structured data and instead having paper HTML-based data will raise the cost and be prohibitive. And so the future that I see, whether it's five years or 10 years or even beyond, is one that moves forward in the direction of current travel. That's great. And Jen, how about from your perspective? I think that as a result of the increased regulations that Wes went over, we're going to see a transformation in that last mile of reporting at a lot of the companies we work with. They're going to get more comfortable with XBRL and structuring data, and they're really going to start to leverage that capability internally to reduce that manual effort of the last mile of reporting. So it really seems like the theme from both of you is that this is actually a real opportunity and that companies that focus on this and both clean up their SEC data, the way Jen talked about, and then think about the other uses, they're the ones that three or five or 10 years from now are going to be ahead and on the leading edge. You're both nodding at me, but I'll let you each give a final comment. So Wes? That's so well summarized, Heather. Data is a competitive advantage because it leads to better insights, more complete thinking, and ultimately better decisions. Any final thoughts from you, Jen? I would just add to what Wes said, and those better decisions can be made based upon more readily available data to compare to peers, as well as driving efficiencies within the company to make better business decisions. Okay. Well, again, both really appreciate you joining me. I I think this is a topic that is exciting. I'm glad we included it in our technology podcast. And again, thanks for joining me. Thanks very much, Heather. Thank you, Heather. Thank you to Wes and Jen. Today's episode is a good companion to episode four of this series on data. If you missed that episode, I highly encourage you to check it out. And of course, join me next Thursday when I tackle our next tech topic. So that you never miss an episode of any of our audio content, subscribe to the PwC Accounting Podcast series wherever you listen to your podcasts. For PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.